Welcome to the Buzzed in Baltimore podcast. I am your host, Jess Mayhew. I cover nightlife and spirits for Baltimore Magazine, and this podcast is an extension of that coverage. We talk about bars, drinks, and the people that bring them to you. Welcome to episode 22 of Buzzed in Baltimore, a podcast about the craft beverage industry. I am here with one of my favorite people, Chelsea Gregoire, who is the bar manager at Topside, the new rooftop bar at Hotel Revival in Mount Vernon. Chelsea, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. This is great. Oh my gosh, uh, this is uh, the best view I've ever had for a podcast. Um, <laughs> you guys, if you haven't been here yet, it's a panoramic view of downtown. You see the monument, you see the beautiful churches. Um, it's just, it's gorgeous. So. Yeah, the office does not suck. Yeah, no. And you guys just opened. I mean, it's brand new, right? Yes, one month. Wow. Um, this weekend. I'm sure it's, pretty it's crazy. been a crazy whirlwind of a month. <laughs> Feels like it's been years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I've known you for a while, but this is the first time we've kind of sat down and done a full interview. And so are you originally from Baltimore and how did you make it to the city? Sure. So I was born in Baltimore. Okay. Um, I lived in like just south of Baltimore, just right over the county line until I was about 10. Then I moved to Annapolis. My dad was in the military, so it's a oh, little okay. bit of an easier commute than coming from Baltimore. Yeah. Um, and went to high school down there, this, that, and the third. Um, went to college elsewhere and then came back. I, I just, I couldn't quit it. Yeah, that Baltimore gets in your, under your skin and it just has <laughs> Also, that, like, I don't fit in, anyone who's ever seen me, they're like, that person probably doesn't fit well in, in Annapolis. Annapolis. <laughs> so I was like running away to Baltimore whenever I could. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty preppy and nautical mm-hmm. and yeah. I, I can... rocked the double pop collar at one point in time. Oh, you totally could. Yeah. But those are buried in a hole somewhere, <laughs> like bottom of the bay at this point but <laughs> but yeah you're much more Baltimore yeah yeah for sure um and so I remember when I first met you at Doobies you were studying theology um right. which was so cool so what made you kind of study theology and then how did that evolve into the hospitality industry like what was what was that yeah kind of okay so this is like a really interesting story and this has been coming up a lot more um over the past few months which is kind of strange so when you met me at Doobies, I had just finished my master's um, in theology before I moved back to Baltimore. Um, and I was studying for my GRE to go back and do my PhD. Gotcha. Obviously, PhD still on hold. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm here. Right. <laughs> um, but definitely a step in the future. Um, when I was in college, I had like a really interesting first couple semesters of college to where, and I've always been this very self-aware person. Right. <laughs> and so everybody has those rough semesters in college, but yeah. I was the person that instead went, I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, I'm, I need rules. Hmm. So I'm going to put myself in a place with rules. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> um, which is the opposite of what most people do. Um, and I ended up at, of all places, Liberty University, hmm. which anybody who knows what Liberty University is, that's like the Jerry Falwell School, Southern wow. Baptist, yeah. Antithesis mm-hmm. of everything uh-huh. that you believe. A real a real mess. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, so when people hear that, they're like, but why? <laughs> <laughs> I have so many questions. Yeah. There's so many questions. Um, but the moral of the story is I was a good enough student that they offered me a full ride and a job for my master's. And in this day and age, you don't turn down a full ride no. anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so I did. Um, I completed my master's in about a year and 
two months and um, got out of there. Yeah, got, yeah. got the hell out of there. <laughs> Running as fast <laughs> as I can. <laughs> so what did you, I mean, I'm sure, you know, a year and a half to condense it down into sort of one thought, but what did you kind of get out of your theology study that you feel like you apply to maybe your job now or your life now? I or? think it's actually proved to be central to what I do now. Hmm. So um, theology is a lot of, of course, like theology technically is the science of God um, when you break it down, but it's also a lot about the study of people because um, studying religion allows you to understand people and kind of what they need. You know, people are constantly looking for a place where they belong. They're looking for community. Mm. They're looking for um, people that believe the same things that they do, think the same things that they do. And so churches and religion provide that medium for Mm -hmm. people to kind of feel like they belong somewhere. Yeah. Um, And as I studied it more and more, you know, my focus was on that. And I found myself really passionate about creating places that people felt like they belonged. Right. And places where they felt community and they felt at home and they felt relaxed. And so that almost perfectly forays in like a weird twisted way into bars. You know, you don't want to go into a bar where you don't feel like you belong. Yeah. You want to walk into a bar, you want to feel welcome, you want to sit down, you want to relax, you want to hang with your friends, you want to um, maybe meet some new people at the bar. Um, Have conversation. Yeah, and there's a lot of vulnerability that comes with bars too, you know, because as people drink, (laughs) people... It's, it's a vulnerable lower, thing. Right. Yeah, it's a vulnerable thing. And so if you're not in a place where you feel comfortable and you feel welcome, what's really the point? Um, so hmm. throughout college, I kind of worked in the hospitality industry. Um, and it, it was just this perfect match yeah. for me. I was like, well, I could see myself staying in hospitality because I'm kind of building these communities, communities. without asking people to believe something right right you can believe whatever you want to believe I'm just here to try to make you comfortable and make you feel like you belong and that's so interesting I think I've mentioned this article on the podcast before but um there's this great article about how we no longer kind of have these like bars are too loud and cafes are too quiet and we no longer have these places like salons and town halls to have conversations right obviously technology plays a big part to it too but I feel like the places that you've worked, and I don't know if this is an intentional choice, or, and we can get into sort of your bar trajectory, but have always been a like nice place for conversation. And it, it's never been these huge loud bars. It's never been, you know, super quiet cafes. It's all these places that are these happy mediums. That's and, really interesting. You know, yeah. I'm not, I didn't even realize that until you said it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's just something that I just thought of too. Um, so how did you sort of learn to be a bartender? Was that something you learned on the job? But was Doobies your first bartending gig or? Uh, Doobies here, was my first official bartending gig. Yeah. Which is kind of weird to think about. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really weird to think about. Um, but I started as a barista. Um, baristas are on the up and up right now. People are finally understanding that baristas are very creative. Yeah. And that they do a lot with flavors and... Um, they're honestly like non-alcoholic bartenders. Right. And also some of our favorite baristas are now going into bartending, which is very fun. Yeah. So I started as a barista. Um, I've always been super academic, you know, master's degree, all that. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and 
So I just wanted to learn everything I could. Right. So if I'm going to make coffee, I'm going to learn everything I can about coffee. And then it was like, oh, well, now I'm going to learn everything I can about tea. And then I came up drinking age, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to start learning everything I can about beer, about wine. You know, and obviously I don't know everything. And there's so much further to go. But this progression where I just was like, I want to master beverage things, you know, (laughs) it just happened um, to the point where I was living in Richmond for a short period of time, which I love. I love Richmond. I think if I ever moved away from Baltimore, I'd probably move either back to Richmond or I would go like completely opposite and go like full West Coast. Right. But (laughs) there are big things happening in Richmond, though. Yeah, Yeah. The Richmond food scene has been awesome, like long before we realized that our food scene was coming up, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's the, like, creativity of it, you know? We have a lot in common with Richmond. Yeah. A lot, you know? There's, like, art schools there, and there's this academic thing, but there's also this blue-collar feel, and there's all these different pieces. But we all sort of resent D.C. in a way. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, it's just we're just not quite as... We're like, they don't understand They don't understand They don't get it. They don't get it. Right, (laughs) exactly. Um, But while I was there, my community bartenders were super knowledgeable. So I lived across the street from this bar called Cezanne. When I was in Richmond, it had, like, just opened. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's been open for a while. They've opened a few other spots. Um, but while I was there, um, and I did a little bit of work with Cezanne. They were um, in the process of opening their market, and they knew I was a barista, and so I was working with them on that. Um, and it never really came to fruition because I was at some point I was like, oh, I have student loans. Right. <laughs> um, but while I was, like, sitting at the bar and enjoying myself I would just ask questions we'd just constantly be asking questions um and just watching them work and having them answer my questions and having them show me different spirits and different flavors and talk about different processes really stuck with me in a way that I don't think they realized Hmm. (laughs) um so much so that the owner yeah. yeah yeah the owner Jay and I keep in touch and he was like what? Who are you? Where did you come from? <laughs> Where did this, when did this happen? Yeah. Um, but it's really cool. Um, so when I came up here, I was doing like restaurant management stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was running myself into the ground and it was like all management all the time, no creative outlet, right. like 70 hour weeks, just going for it. And as much as I love running a te- a crew of people, which obviously I'm doing that now, but as much as I love, you know, being the bar mama, I was like, I need a creative outlet. Mm -hmm. So I started working a couple days a week at Doobies, and then it just kind of grew into this thing, and then I was like, oh, wait, I'm the bar mama again. Yeah, right. Um, But But, I'm being creative at the same time. And, like, I totally credit Phil for that. It's like, thanks, Phil, for taking a chance on me. Phil Han, the owner of Doobies and Sugarvale and Sundays and now a new pizza place. He's Yeah, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. Um, Which we knew was going to happen. Oh. We're like, it's only a matter of time before this guy just opens. Totally. Something on every corner. He did his homework. He did did everything. Um, It was funny. It's interesting that you say that because I was talking to somebody in the industry the other day and they were like, how's your podcast coming? I was like, it's great. I said, I'm so excited. I'm interviewing Chelsea next week. And they said, she is one of the most creative people I know in this town. And and that word creative was like synonymous with your name. And so it's so nice. Yeah. And so I just, I think that's so interesting that you, you realize that in yourself and you said, I I need to be creative and I need to exercise that. So where do you get like your inspiration from and your creativity from? Because sometimes, you know, as a writer, I'm just sitting there and staring at a blank page and feeling really uninspired. Like, how do you, how do you kind of get your inspiration? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, 
one, I'm really flattered that people view me as creative <laughs> because I often feel like I'm just in this total mental block. Right. Um, but the things that are inspiring, inspiring for me are not the usual, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I get a lot out of, um, you know, reading books from like my academic background. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of weird existential (laughs) ideas that I kind of like dwell on for a while. I also like take a lot of inspiration from the people around me. Right. You know, I, I can confidently say that I have some of the best bartenders working for me here and every day, though they have 8 million questions, like they inspire me on a daily basis to just keep doing better and keep making things happen for them and to like be the best mama bear I can. Yeah. Um, but also, like, I have to shout out my wife, you know, like, she is, she graduated from Micah, she's running uh, social media and graphic design and stuff for 10th Harvest, which is, like, super badass. Can I say badass? Yeah. Great. Oh, yeah. Super badass. You can say worse than <laughs> I don't that know how, want. like, deeply regulated this podcast is. <laughs> Not at all. Great. Perfect. Um, and, she's, but, and she does photography. And she does photography. Yeah. And she has a blog. And she's, like, she's everywhere. And it's funny because I go home and she's like, I'm in a total mental block. And I'm like, well, me too. And then she's like, da-da-da-da-da, I'm doing 25 things at the same time. I'm just like, maybe we're all just kind of in our own heads about it. Maybe we're all just really creative. I think that's probably true. I think you can overanalyze. Yeah. And and then if you just sort of let go a little bit, that's that's when it can come from. So in 2016, you founded Drinkable Genius, um, (laughs) which is a great name. Thank you. Could you tell people just what that is and what, you know, why you wanted to start it and sort of what your work has been with that company? So Drinkable Genius, to sum it up succinctly, it was a way for me to do all the things that I love to do under one roof and work for myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. That's the dream. Um, Yeah. The, there's kind of a twofold purpose to it. So on one hand, it's bar consulting, right? So new programs, existing programs, cocktail menus, events, you know, the like is on one side. The other side is education focused, marketing focused. Um, so um, for a while, like teaching a lot of classes for bartenders because bartenders are infamously like not okay on social media. (laughs) (laughs) So there's basically like this class that I would teach where it's like, Hey, let's learn how to not be idiots on social media. Right. Let's not post at two o'clock in the morning. Let's not invite people to your bar at like midnight because that gives off the impression that, Hey, maybe I'm really slow and I'm bored. Right. Which doesn't send off a great message you know just talking about those things and how that transforms into okay so now you want to work for a brand now you want to work for a brewery or a spirits company or for someone else or for a larger company like how you have to deal with all those things that you post on social media so like setting good practices and you know when you're a representative of a company right 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 so there was that, but then there was also spirits education. I basically taught my, like, bar boot camp, um, which I do, like, a tasting and, like, walking through all of the base spirits. Um, lots and lots of fun. 
um, some places. So a lot of people know that through that, I built the bar program at Ida B's Table, mm-hmm. which working for Chef David and Tanya was amazing, and they're still great friends, and yeah. I have so much respect for them and what they are doing. Um, I also helped build the cocktail program in Market Tavern out in Sykesville. Hmm. A little bit more of a commute, but they're also amazing. They were doing beer and wine. They had this great like market shop, and they were selling a bunch of goods, and they, they came to me, and they are like, we want to do cocktails. None of our uh, bartenders have ever worked with cocktails before. And I was like, okay, you were let's probably, go. That probably was so exciting for you. It was pretty you were, fun. Yeah, it was like, pretty fun. From the, from the start. Right. So the idea is you build this and kind of get them on their feet mm-hmm. and then like give them the knowledge and pass it along and Correct. then they can take it from there. Yeah. That's really um, And to this day, like if Chef David called me and had a question about something or um, someone from Market Tavern called me and had a question for me about something, like I make myself available to answer those questions and to help keep them moving. Right. Um, which is really important to me and it's all back to that like building community. But, like, the major impetus for starting Drinkable Genius is I noticed, one, there was a hole in the market a little bit with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, I found myself in a position where I was doing random, like, jobs of that sort for different people. And I was, there was no accountability to get properly compensated for it, which is a big deal in the service industry. And it's just more like, hey, Chelsea, can you help me out? Mm -hmm. Can you do me this favor? It's like, oh hey, can you write me a cocktail menu and we'll just give you, like, a couple shifts a week? And I'm like, that maybe over time would work, but you're also bringing me on to do a cocktail menu, but you're changing your cocktail menu because it's currently not profitable. Right. So I'm So then, confused. therefore, I'm giving you more profit and yet, yeah. No, you need to have, like you said, you like rules, right? The top I of the love podcast. rules. So you needed, to, you needed to have some rules and some organization and... <laughs> Therefore, you started a business. Right. That's but awesome. it was also a way to uh, help other people come up. You know, I'm working events. I've passed on a lot of jobs and recommended a lot of other people in our community for different um, opportunities. Um, it's just been a, it's been a way for, and I know that a lot of people in the service industry in Baltimore look at Drinkable Genius as kind of like, oh, well, you haven't been here that long. Like, you haven't paid your dues. Hmm. You haven't um, you haven't served your time in the industry. Um, but through that, I was able to actually lean so much more into the industry um, to continue to build relationships. And I never, like, my intention was never to shut anyone out. No. So... It was actually a, it was a really interesting conversation that I had with a lot of people. Huh. It's like, hey, I know I'm much younger than you, and I know that I have less experience than you, but I also have these organizational skills and these type A skills that are very rare in right. bartenders that I would love to help people with. And all you're doing is trying to better the industry, which should be a win yeah. all around anyway. Which I'm not, I, and don't think that I am sensitive about yeah. how people feel yeah. about Drinkable Genius. I think, no, I you know, don't. I will yeah. always go to bat and be like, I think I did the right thing, but, you know, I, I just have so much respect for this industry. I just wanted to give something new to it. Yeah, you know? I, I get that. And that segues really well into my next question. You know, how have you seen the industry sort of evolve since you've been here and and have you seen the industry get more inclusive and then you know is there still room to grow and how do you 
there's so kind of much room to grow achieve that there's so much room to grow <laughs> um i was actually just writing about this i was responding to an email last night and writing about how my goal at this point in my career you know i have been given so many opportunities that i don't think i necessarily deserve and i'm so thankful for them and so the way for me to best respond to getting those platforms is to use it for advocacy and to use it for inclusion and um there's so much further to go Mm -hmm. you know uh there's so many female bartenders in baltimore that are just not getting the same recognition that some of the guys are yeah and as much as i love those dudes yeah these women are doing such incredible work that they need they need to also get the recognition for that yeah um I also find that LGBT, LGBTQ folks um, in our city and in our country, and particularly in the food and beverage industry, there's a lot of there's a lot of misunderstandings, um, and there's a ton of heteronormativity and a ton of like um, you know toxic masculinity in the food and beverage industry you know dudes have been running it for so long women are here and women constantly feel when they're behind the bar that they have to put up with a certain level of right. crap yeah we saw that with all the chef stories that came out and right I'm sure none of it was surprising to anyone that's worked in the industry it actually it wasn't at yeah. all and that's really distressing but even more so for queer people you know i have women that get drunk and then, like, try and hit on me across the bar. Mm. I have dudes that get drunk that are obviously confused about what side of the aisle I fall on. <laughs> um, and it's... You're, it's get, you're getting it from all sides. And it gets, like, very insensitive. It gets very weird. It gets um, very awkward. And a lot of times, queer people in the bar industry were just kind of like, well, you know... If, like, the other people on my team aren't necessarily being receptive to preferences that I have or, like, ways that I want to be addressed or, you know, these things, then how can I expect that from my guests? Right. So a big thing for me, um, and this is true here and it's true with other places that I've opened, is trying to educate people who have been in the industry a long time but don't fully understand, um you know, pronouns. They don't understand Mm. the difference between, you know, who you date and who you want to be with and, like, who you feel you are as a person. Right. Um, And so a lot of, like, my role, I feel, in the industry is having this platform is to talk about those things and to be an advocate for people, especially people who use gender-neutral pronouns in the food and beverage industry because... Who hasn't been to a bar where people are like, hey, ladies, hey, guys. Mm-hmm. Hey, fellas. Hey. Yeah. yeah. Everybody knows me. Mine is like, what's up, humans? How you doing, <laughs> folks? Hey, friends. How you living? What's going? You know? Yeah. Like, so. Um, and do you find that uh, younger people coming up in the industry are more tolerant in general and maybe easier to educate or more open-minded? I know that's a big generalization. Yeah. But are, does it give you sort of hope for it does. future generations? It does. But at the, then it's like this double-edged sword is that, you know, a, this generation that's coming up doesn't understand. And even myself, like, I'm technically a millennial by Ugh, age. Don't get me started on that conversation. But I don't – a lot of people view me as much older than I am. Um, I think there's, like, 
there's this weird thing coming up with like technology and you know kids are coming into the workforce and they were born the same year as 9-11 which is crazy to me 17 year olds everyone that makes me feel very old (laughs) that's that's nuts yeah right yeah but there's this there's this way that society has changed and a lot of these kids are super receptive to being progressive and to gender neutral pronouns and treating everyone with respect and but at the same time they don't fully understand how to work yet right right does that make sense because they're still they're still kids they're still kids and it's it's a very interesting thing it's like yes you do care about people and you want to be in hospitality and you want to understand and you want to like do these things and you want to be great to your coworkers. But also, show up on time. (laughs) (laughs) You're also still irresponsible 17-year-old or 18-year-old. Right, right. It's all very silly. I'm sure, like, in the next two years, it'll all shake out. Yeah. But it's it's totally been a weird changeover. Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, it gives me... Some optimism for the future, at least, that you're seeing more tolerance coming from from younger people. Um, So let's talk about how you got involved with the Joie de Vivre Hotel Group. Um, That is the hotel group that owns Topside. And um, I know they have a bunch of boutique hotels around the country. And I just want to hear kind of how you got involved and what attracted you to the the job. Sure. So um, they actually found me. Which of was course they did. <laughs> Google does miracles <laughs> for me these days. Um, <laughs> they were like, her last name sounds fancy. We're bringing her. She on. must be really cool. <laughs> she probably gave herself that last name, didn't she? Um, <laughs> but yeah, they found me. They found Drinkable Genius. Um, they reached out, and I knew that this hotel was turning over because my wife and I got married in 2016. And in 2016 was when they shut down the Peabody Court Hotel Mm -hmm. um, for renovations. And so I specifically remember, and I brought this up with our general manager, because she came on before they closed to kind of watch that transition happen. Um, My mom and I came over here because this was super close to our wedding venue and tried to do a hotel block. And my current GM, I believe, was the person who spoke to us and was like, actually, we're closing next month. (laughs) Oh, my God. What a weird full circle. Right. How nuts. So I knew this was opening. Um, I've lived in the area for a long time. And they took me out to coffee and they were like, this is what we're doing. And I was like, no shit. (laughs) I was like, I was like, that's pretty cool. Right. Um, How full circle everything comes. I mean, Doobies is two blocks away. So it's like it's very... Um, it's the moral of the story is full circle. Yeah. Everything, everything is cyclical. Yeah. Um, so they found, we talked, they were like, stew on it, you know, let us know. Went out to coffee again, stew on it, let us know. They sent me an offer and I was like, I, I mean, there's four bars in this hotel. Yeah. Two are satellite, two are full service restaurants, plus banquets. Like this is, if we want to talk about like, academia and me wanting to learn everything I can this was the obvious next step this is like big uh, it's a big one big final project or whatever or however we want to put it in terms of academia right Um, so when we talked about the brand you know they you know everybody kind of sells you the dream Mm -hmm. but I did my research and I looked into the brand and the thing that I really love about it and it echoes so much of what I'm about is that they none of their hotels look the same the only similarity is the little pin oh, that they wear. I just noticed that. Um, very subtle, though. Very subtle. 
but what they do is they go into a city and they just want to own what that city's about. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, how can we magnify this in this hotel? Right. So, for instance, one of their other hotels is 50 Bowery in New York. And if you go up to 50 Bowery, it's in the middle of Chinatown, like down bottom of um, Bowery. You've got like dumpling places on either side. And they brought people in from the community to open like noodles and dumplings in the hotel. Hmm. They echo it in their decor. They echo everything that the, the neighborhood is about. Right. If you come to Hotel Revival, you know, you walk in and, you know, they did a mural of Howard's Woods, which was on this spot. And they are giving an echo to the Baltimore quilts. And, um, you know, they're talking about craft beer, which is huge in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And they're um, talking about there's like, some horse motifs for like Preakness right. downstairs, like all kinds of these like little pieces that are so thought out. And I was like, you know what? If I was going to jump into this indus- side of the industry, if I was going to do it, this seems like the place that's most aligned with what I'm about. Right. Your gut was telling you this, this felt right. Right. And the values felt right. And, yeah. And I, I have respected that too, ever since um, we, you know, found out that Jodavi was coming here is they brought in a local chef. They're obviously working with a local bar manager. I know you're really conscious about working with Old Line Spirits and working with Monument City and, and just trying to make everything as local as possible. I'm sure the list goes on and on from there. Those are just the two that sure. popped in my head first. Um, so how, like, how much of your feedback went into these bar programs and the concepts and, you know, was it, did it feel like really collaborative and like, what were some of your ideas you were, that you really wanted to be present? So when I got here, Chef Wilbur had been on for a while. He had already started to make all the food menus. He had made a couple food menus at that point. Um, they had an idea of the concept in place, but they didn't they didn't necessarily have the cocktails they didn't necessarily have the beer list they didn't they had an idea of where they wanted to go um and they hired me as the bar manager to take them down that road um and so i inherited this concept that i had glassware for and i had design for um but they were like put baltimore in it Hmm. just just put baltimore in it (laughs) and i was like okay and I'll insert put, Baltimore here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Insert Baltimore here. Yeah. Um, and so I did. I tasted somewhere around 400 beers for these programs. Wow. I tasted probably 250 wines. I tasted a lot of spirits. I we uh, worked at Share Kitchen in South Baltimore until our kitchen was ready. So myself, Chef Wilbur, and Chef Shalanda, our executive sous chef. Um, we messed around with different methods and like played in the kitchen all day and um, played around with what it would be like to do all dehydrated garnishes and hmm. you know what these different flavors look like and workshopped a lot of things together. Um, so I w- can say with confidence that the beverage program here, <laughs> I did well researched. <laughs> well researched. That's some that's some tough work tasting all that stuff. I'm sure people are thinking, oh, I would love to do that, but. When it's, it's your job, it's exhausting. Yeah, no, I'm, I can imagine. Also, for everyone who thinks that it's a very easy, fun job. I mean, it is. It's fun. But you have to spit everything out. I was just going to say, <laughs> I'm sure there was a lot out. of sip and spit and not 
you weren't partying. Let's just so you occasionally, you know, got to enjoy a glass of wine at the end of it. But right, right. So, so if you could just describe kind of the concept that you ended up landing on for your cocktail menu for your beer and wine program. You know, how does it? What makes it unique to other places in Baltimore that you know might have some sophisticated uh, beverage programs? Sure. Um, Well, the first thing I knew about going into this is I didn't want to outprice anyone in the neighborhood. I wanted to keep things pretty consistent. I mean, and everybody always says, oh, but you're a hotel bar. You can charge more. And I was like, but I, I'm a hotel bar in Baltimore. I don't really want to get run out of town with, like, pitchforks and torches. Right. Um, people are so very easy to, do, it's easy to happen. People are sensitive about how much money they spend when they go out yeah. here. And I respect that. I'm sensitive about how much money I spend when I go out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the first thing is, like, I need everything to be approachable pricing-wise. Um. And then with Topside, they crafted this idea of a craft beer concept. This, um, I don't like the term elevated, but an elevated, mm-hmm. I'm doing air quotes mm-hmm. for air, those air at quotes. home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> elevated beer hall, right? So the food is very like approachable, like kind of beer hall type food, sausage and um, fish dishes and like beef and burgers mm-hmm. and like, um, you know, fried stuff and wings and all those things, right? Um, but what, when it came down to it, I was like, okay, yeah, beer, wines by the glass, by the bottle, got it, cool, yes. Mm-hmm. How do you do a cocktail menu based off of that? And an elevated beer hall. Right. Right. Um, and so as I, like, thought through it, I was like, you know what? We're going to do Boilermakers. Mm. We're also going to do a cool-ass cocktail menu. And then I like had to think about that. I was like, okay, so am I going to do a menu of shandies, or am I just going to turn all the beers into syrups? Right. And I was like, no, no, I can't. <laughs> so I uh, back to academia. I take really meticulous, weird notes. Um, I relate a lot of flavors to childhood snacks and candy. Nice. Um, and I started like going back into my notes. And picking out flavors, like common threads that I found in the beers that I was tasting. And, you know, things like um, pine and grapefruit and red fruits and herbal things and floral things and all kinds of um, different things. And I took them. Probably a lot of the uh, notes from the hops as right. well. As, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and malt, you know. Mm-hmm. You think about, like, a amber ale, super malt forward. So, like, bready, toasty. Right. Like, um, a lot of whiskey flavors yeah in a uh, amber ale and I took that and I said okay now I'm gonna take those flavors and I'm gonna turn them into cocktails right and so I broke it down to molecular and then I built it back up from there which probably took me a lot more time than necessary making a bunch of shandies would have been a lot easier probably yeah but they all probably wouldn't have tasted very good totally um but (laughs) that's what I did and people are people are loving them. People are responding. We did put a shandy on the menu, but I named it after my wife, who's also named Shandy. I was going to ask you, that seems like an obvious choice. Like, you kind of have to, right? We've been together for long enough, and she hasn't had a cocktail named after her. And I was like, well, here's your opportunity. <laughs> Now's the time. This is too perfect. It, it goes with one the concept. straight out of the park. It's not forced. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. So yeah. what's in that? What's in the shandy? So it's um, Evan Williams bourbon, uh, Genepee, um, and apple thyme syrup, some lemon, and then uh, we take it, we top it with our house beer Thursday from Peabody Heights, mm. um, and a couple of maraschino cherries on the top, 
it's really light, refreshing, but it's still like I don't. I also don't like to um, shaft anyone when it comes to cocktails. Like I pour yeah. heavy cocktails yeah. because you should get your money's worth. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Y'all are welcome. <laughs> and does Shandy approve? Did she try the cocktail? She, she tried the it? cocktail and she loved it. Well then, so. that's that's the seal of approval you need. Um, well, we might uh, try a couple cocktails, have you shake some up, then okay. just go through and discuss them. Sure. Um, and we'll be right back after she makes some. So Chelsea has whipped up some amazing looking cocktails for us to taste. Um, I guess we'll start with the Shandy since that's the one we were just talking about. Yeah. Um, it, just for those at home, it's in beautiful Shandy glass, kind of honey golden in color garnished with um cherry three cherries yeah. three maraschino cherries that you talked about and um has a plastic or plastic or non-plastic straw which yeah. i feel like is a big trend we're seeing now people are veering away from the plastic so tell, tell us about the straw yeah so we have a um partnership with aardvark straws um our national director of bars did a lot of research she, she would probably tell you all about it but she uh tried out a bunch of different paper straws or non-plastic straws um, in all kinds of beverages. And this was the one that ho- held up the best. So if you want to, it's like pretty sturdy. Yeah. I mean, and the thing also, with, right. Um, it's made of paper. Yeah. So, the thing with paper straws is you worry about how they're going to dissolve and get flaky and gross. Right. Um, so these definitely seem more durable and sturdy than most paper straws I've ever seen. Right. Um, I, I saw the other day Laughing Pine is doing pasta straws, <laughs> which I was like, I was like, I think the point is to not affect the flavor, but I'm also, I love pasta, so right. I'm not mad at pasta like, in my it's, it's, an inter- it's, it's a creative <laughs> idea for sure. It's um, pretty cool. So the Shandy is awesome. It's made with uh, Thursday beer from Peabody Heights, as you yeah. mentioned. So, so what did you, how did you play off the flavors of the beer? Sure. So the thing to know first is they do have a beer called Thursday. It's like Thursday. Right. Right. Ours is Thursday. We've added some uh, more hops, um, a little bit of extra oomph to it, in my opinion. Um, It's really tasty, really nice, like, hoppy pale ale. Um, With that, I wanted to play on, you know, those more, like, tropical resiny fruit notes and then um, do some bourbon, some genipe to kind of highlight those hop flavors. It's like a bitter liqueur. and then we did um, an apple thyme syrup, which we also mm. use downstairs in our sister restaurant, Square Meal. Mm. Uh, Square Meal is more like farm-centric focused, using a lot of um, different produce. And so it was really important for us to use um, what was in season and what was tasting good, and apples were that at the time. So we took that, uh, infused it with thyme. And then we also used a little bit of Bitterman's Burlesque Bitters. Um, a little bit of lemon, top it with the beer. All of those flavors just kind of like play and marry real nice. It also, yeah. as I said before, I don't shy away from giving y'all a lot of booze. It is a hefty pour. It for is. Sure. It is a hefty pour, and it also comes with the rest of the beer, so you can continue to top it off, and the flavor actually changes as you add more beer to it. That's so. really cool. I love when um, if you get like a dark and stormy or anything like that and they give you the rest of the ginger beer and, and that has that same effect. It gets mm-hmm. a little, you know, spicier as you go. Right. Um, no, this drink is is delicious. It's really well balanced. It doesn't, the beer doesn't overwhelm the drink, which I, sometimes things happens with Shandy. You're like, oh, I'm drinking a wheat beer with a little bit of something else in it. Right. But this feels like a cocktail. Cool. Where beer is just one of the ingredients and 
Yeah. It's it's awesome. I think it's nice and herbal with that thyme and has some fall flavors in it, which yeah. I think work any time of year, really. I mean, apple is, is great no matter what. So right. I'm a big fan of this one. Oh, I can see why Shandy approved of it. <laughs> um, okay, so the next one we have um, is beautiful. It's served in a coupe glass. Um, and it has sort of a half sprinkle of pink peppercorn on, on top of the um, egg white foam. And it's it's really really beautiful. So tell us about the name of this one. I know it's, it has a good story. Um, so shrubs and roses. A lot of people think it's shrubs and roses, like guns and roses. I was trying to play on guns and roses, um, but it is roses because it does feature a rose vermouth. Um, it's St. George Botanivor Gin as well. And then this is actually a highlight on our partnership with Shrub District. So um, Shrub District is out of Washington, D.C. Um, the guy who runs it is a former bartender. Um, he wanted to create sustainable cocktail acids and vinegars for um, bars by taking those like less desirable fruits, the stuff they don't want to necessarily put out the farmer's markets because it's not as cute, um, and turning that into um, delicious things you can put in your drinks. Yeah. So this is featuring their strawberry dill um, mm. and a little bit of lemon and then egg white. I love this drink. Um, I was worried that other people wouldn't love this drink. But it turns out that it's definitely our most popular. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> so for me, it's the, the acidity in it that I love. Um, I'm assuming a lot of that's obviously coming from the shrub, but because it's dill flavored, mm -hmm. it's almost, you get that like that pickle effect. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge pickle fan, so this is like playing right And also, to... what's more Baltimore than the pickleback, honestly? Mm -hmm. At the Fells Farmer's Market, they put... The pickled guy next to the Baltimore whiskey company guy, and I heard so that strong. was intentional. So strong. I mean, that's great. <laughs> no, this is this is awesome, but it's a nice and light mouthfeel, so you don't feel kind of overwhelmed by booze. It's a nice spring drink, I would think. And I would say, as you're taking a drink, make sure to get um, the, the pink peppercorn in there, because it totally just changes the drink. Adds a really nice, like, bright spice to it. It does. And even on the nose, it's nice kind of going in. Um, wow, this one's this one's awesome. This, could, this is, might be my new favorite here for sure. Nice. Um, and I won't call it shrubs and roses, I promise. <laughs> okay, and then even even better name, we're, we're just keep, even getting more creative down the line. Um, the last drink she made is from an Indiana Jones inspiration, so you want to tell us about that? Yeah, why did it have to be snakes? Um, Indiana Jones hates snakes. I don't really like snakes either, but I really love Indiana Jones. Um, and... The main like local feature in this cocktail is we're using Lost Ark Distilling's mm. Spiced Rum. Um, so Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, it's yeah. all coming together. Lost Ark's been on the podcast before, but yeah, a distillery I love down in guys. Columbia. They're so great. Their, their spiced rum is one of my favorite things. So. Right. And it's so dynamic. It's so easy to drink. A lot of spiced rums, you're just like inundated with sugar right. and um, vanilla. And this one has just so much like fun... Um, botanical and spice flavors to it it was really fun to use so i wanted to make a springtime old-fashioned so um, i did the lost ark spiced rum i did a little bit of vsop cognac from martel um, a little bit of simple syrup just to round it out and then we also feature local maker um caitlin behind hey thanks herbal co her honey cardamom bitters which they're absolutely stellar um, and she is really a joy to work with um, Where can people find her stuff? Um, so she's often at um, 
uh, the greater goods market that yep. our house throws. Okay. I think she's always there, but you can always find her online as well. Okay. She's That's great. Yeah, she's really, really wonderful and making some really cool stuff. She also does some great tonics for when you're not feeling well with all this pollen in the air. Yeah. I think everybody just run. Hey, thanks, Herbal Cup. That would make you say, hey, I'll thanks. I'll just cash my I'm check sure. later. <laughs> <laughs> Good plug for her. Um, so it, it looks like a, an old-fashioned, and then you kind of play off the snakes idea at the top. Um, tell people about what it's garnished with. Oh, yeah. So it's garnished with grapefruit snakes on a tiny ice island. Um, <laughs> so it comes over your two-inch uh, ice cube, and then you have... Um, Grapefruits, I peel, I julienne, I take, I blanch them so we're removing all that like bitter pith. And then I soak them in simple syrup and dehydrate them, let them get all twisty so they kind of look like snakes. Um, So, yeah, the grapefruit snake. Yeah. Invented here. It's a new (laughs) Trademark that shit. Yeah. Um, No, everything is just so delicious. Um, You know, it's like a a rum version of an old-fashioned, and it's got those honey notes that are just really nice and bright. it's this creativity see there's a reason people call you creative this is this is it right in front of us so Chelsea thank you so much for sharing your story and for making some cocktails and being on the podcast everyone needs to come to Topside and and say hi to her yeah absolutely look forward to seeing everybody soon and thank you for having me on you're welcome